What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Ben Askren is an Olympic wrestler and current UFC fighter with a 19-0 record in his MMA career. He is joined on the podcast by Martin Florini, who is the founder and CEO of Rockfin. In this conversation, we discuss what it takes to be a UFC fighter, what drew Ben to Bitcoin and crypto, what the current issues with content platforms are today, how Rockfin is attempting to solve some of those issues, and where Ben and Martin see crypto evolving to in the future. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Are you curious about cryptocurrency and you don't know where to begin? I've got a great way for you to try. You can use Stormplay, a free and fun way to start earning in exchange for your time. That's right, you don't necessarily have to make a financial investment to begin. You can simply download, register, and then discover these micro tasks that they present you that meet your interest, and then you're rewarded with these Storm Bolts. The Bolts are then converted and can be withdrawn into your favorite cryptocurrency, including the Storm Token, Ethereum, or my favorite, Bitcoin. If you go and download the Stormplay app today, you can earn cryptocurrency rewards by playing new games and trying out cool new products. It's worth a try, and it's a great way to get started. Remember, go check out Stormplay in the App Store today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Ben and Martin here. Super excited to uh, to go through this. I think that this will be one of those episodes where uh, we get a view into a world outside of crypto um, and then bring it back at the end. Uh, thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to do this. Yeah, I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Ben, let's start with you. Uh, you've got nothing to do with crypto from the outside, but uh, but you're interested and, and excited. Maybe tell us a little bit about your background um, and then we can get into some of the stuff you're doing today. Sure. I grew up in Heartland, Wisconsin. I live five minutes down the road from where I grew up. Right now, uh, I started wrestling when I was young. I, I developed a passion for it. I got better at it. I ended up going to wrestle at the University of Missouri, where I won two national titles and two Hodge trophies. I went to the 2008 Olympics. I found my way into the sport of mixed martial arts, and then I decided to come back home. And my brother, I, and my high school coach, ended up starting uh, Ashka Wrestling Academy, which we have three of those now. Uh, they're doing really well, and I'm, I'm still fighting mixed martial arts. And uh, Doing a handful of other things, podcasting and doing a vlog and st- staying generally very busy. Absolutely. So uh, I'm fascinated by um, the training that goes into competing in the UFC and mixed martial arts. Maybe give us a, a sense of just what do you do in a typical day, right? How much training are you doing versus uh, the podcasting, the, the wrestling academy, et cetera? Sure. Um, well, I, I don't really know any other way. I mean, literally, this is what I've been doing since I was 13. So I, I can't really think of it any other way. Uh, you know, one of the things as I get older, I realize my body can't handle the volume that it did when I was younger. You know, when I was 21, 22, 23, and I could just train and train and train. So now, I mean, I'm really, I, I do four days where I do two days, two days where I do one, and then I have one day off. But even, even on my on days, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's an hour to 90 minutes tops. I'm, I'm getting in, I'm getting out, I'm refining my skills, I'm getting in shape, keeping myself healthy and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I've been building skills for the last 20 years. So 
I don't have to do a huge amount of skill development like I used to. So now it's just preparing myself for what I have to go execute on in the competition. Absolutely. I, I played football in college and I used to tell people all the time, wrestlers were the only dudes who uh, potentially, I would never admit it, but potentially could be tough. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, it's funny. <laughs> um, so, look, you, you obviously had this very storied career in, in college, and then eventually went to Olympics um, as a um, as a wrestler. And then when you transition to mixed martial arts, like how big of a transition is that? Where you go from you know really wrestling and grappling and, and going to the ground to actually the potential of getting punched in the face and having to punch back and kind of the the, the transition there. Well, for me, uh, I'd have to say it was pretty simple. I mean. I've always liked, I mean, one of the things that drew me to wrestling over other sports in the beginning was just the combativeness of it, the hand-to-hand, the one-on-one. I I loved that part of it. And so for me, it almost seemed like a natural progression. And frankly, some of the times I've got hit hit hardest in my life is in wrestling, you know, you shoot and they shoot at the same time, your heads collide, or you shoot and they sprawl and you hit right in their hip bone. Those have been some of the biggest hits I've ever taken in my life. Uh, and so the, the transition for me was fairly seamless. Obviously, I had to be okay with learning new skills and, and diving in, and I did that, and um, it turned out really well. Obviously, I kind of transitioned seamlessly, and I was I was the Bellator champion, um, I believe, 18 months into my fighting career. So transitioned well. Yeah, it, it, it's badass to be able to say that, frankly. <laughs> um, so, so you did the Bellator thing, right? And then you eventually ended up and uh, you won your first fight um, in the UFC against uh, Robbie Lawler. Um, you know, what, what, yeah. what is that like in terms of getting into that octagon, just knowing that um, the crowd that's there and also it's just, you know, the, kind of the streaming and a pay-per-view and all that uh, and then winning. It, did you feel different afterwards, you know, from uh, going from Bellator hmm. to UFC? Or is it just like, look, man, I've been doing this my whole life. I'm just here to beat the dude in front of me and let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, I would say more than that than anything. So obviously I was a champion of Bellator for three and a half years. And, and then I had some contract negotiations that went south. And then actually I signed a contract with a company called One Championship. And I was exclusively in Asia for four and a half years. And then I, I said I would retire unless I, um, unless I got the opportunity to fight to prove I was the best in the world. And I was a part of the first ever mixed martial arts trade, which UFC traded Demetrius Johnson to one championship for myself. Um, and uh, I decided to come out of retirement for the opportunity. I mean, then was, which is obviously the fight you're talking about against Robbie Lawler. And uh, man, yeah, I, th- I think it's just like you were saying. Uh, I just got to beat the guy in front of me. That's as, as simple as it is. You can't, you can't string two and three and four fights together. All you have to do is focus on what's in front of you. And that, that's the way to be most effective. So that's what I did. And now it felt, it felt normal. It felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Uh, it wasn't a shock. I, I knew I've had the skills for many, many years. And I, just, I haven't had the opportunity. I mean, obviously I was undefeated the whole time while I was in Bellator and won championship. But I haven't, hadn't had the opportunity to fight the guys who other people would give me credit for beating uh, to show that I'm the best in the world. Absolutely. And then you've got a, a fight coming up here in uh, July. Maybe just give us some, uh, some information on that um, and, and so people can, yeah. uh, can make sure they watch it. Yeah, I am fighting a guy named George Masvidal. He's actually ranked one spot above me, although I, I don't know why because I don't think he's better than me at all. <laughs> uh, so I'm fighting him on July 6th, which is roughly two and a half weeks away. And then um, after that, who knows, hopefully I can hop into a title fight or something like that. Got it. You going to win? Uh, I, yeah, I do believe I'm going to win. All right. I'd be scared if you said that you, you didn't know. 
<laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, so uh, I, I see all the time too. Uh, last thing on the wrestling side, um, you and uh, and, and uh, Mike Novogratz. Novogratz is uh, is a big fan of yours, yes. and uh, I, I think that mm-hmm. uh, it seems like one of the common links is the beat the streets um, effort. Maybe tell a little bit yeah. about that and how you and Mike got uh, got hooked up. Yeah, I so I actually wrestled in the first ever Beat the Streets gala, which is uh, it's their major fundraiser every day. So what Beat the Streets does, they raise money for inner city wrestling in New York City. They, they've started. I, I don't want to blow the numbers, but something like uh, fifty high school programs and 40, 40 middle school programs. They've gotten five thousand wrestlers. It's something to that effect. You know, it's, it's really really big numbers. Um, so they're doing a great job. So I wrestled in the first ever Beat the Streets gala in twenty. Uh, 2010 and um, just kind of kept in touch. Obviously I, I, that was like, I haven't really wrestled since then. And um, obviously this opportunity, I don't know Jesse Jansen, another guy who he was an NCAA champ at Harvard, good friends with Novogratz and beat the streets. And I believe he's into crypto also. Um, he, uh, he reached out to me and said, would you wrestle Jordan Burroughs? And it's like, man, I've wrestled nine years, but yeah, I don't see why not. It's a, it's a great cause. It's a great opponent. Uh, let's go give it a shot. And, uh, you know, it didn't turn out very well for me, but we sold out Madison Square Garden, the Hulu Theater. Uh, it was a great environment, and uh, we raised $1.3 million for charity. So I think it was a success. It's amazing. It, it, it is. Uh, yeah. It, it's pretty incredible. Um, all right, so let's transition to uh, the, the non-wrestling and MMA world. Like, you know, I think most people, when they think of you, they're just like, look at this badass motherfucker who spends all day training <laughs> to go beat people up, Right. And then you're out here, you've got the podcast, you're all over Twitter, all the stuff. Like, what is, what's the desire or, or the, the interest in kind of things outside of the MMA world? Um, and, and like, why spend so much time doing this other stuff? I don't know. I, I, I just gravitate towards stuff I'm interested in. Um, you know, ever since I was young, I always thought it was so weird where people said, like, you need to just sit in your room and focus. It's like, ah. I'm super busy. I don't want to do that. I, I'd rather keep myself occupied. I actually remember Martin's on the other line, and I don't know if he remembers this, but I remember, I think it was 2007. I Flow Sports had just begun. And well, I don't even know it was Flow Sports at that time. It might have just been Flow Wrestling and Flow Track. And Martin was there the week before the NCAAs, and I was out playing disc golf barefoot. And he said something like, What are you doing? Why are you out playing? You, you could hurt yourself. And I was like, Nah, I'm fine. I'm not gonna hurt myself. I'm like, what? What do you mean do? I sit in my room and protect my. You know, I can't live in a bubble. I gotta go do stuff, and that's the way. Yeah, but what? Let me. I mean, you you're in your barefoot, like walking through the woods. I was just imagining like getting uh, sliced up by a rock or something, or a tw- I don't know, a branch. I'm just like, why? Why, why are you put doing this? But uh, Ben doesn't. Ben doesn't care. Yeah. So I, you can't live in a bubble. And that's what I, you know, I find things I'm passionate about and it shouldn't sometimes, sometimes I do say, shit, I'm too busy. And then it's like, okay, but what am I going to give up? And then it's like, well, I really genuinely enjoy everything I'm doing. And, uh, so I, it's hard for me to give anything up. So yeah, I, like I said, I'm involved in a lot of ventures, but I'm kind of really interested and excited about everything I'm doing. Absolutely. Um, so before we get to Rockfin and, and kind of what you're doing on the on the content platform there, I got to ask about the, uh, the the Twitter trolls because uh, you, you are um, becoming one of my favorite guys on Twitter because I, I see him coming at you and, and usually it's not crypto related. It's usually like uh, MMA or UFC stuff. Um, every once in a, every once in a while it's crypto related because listen, you can't post anything Bitcoin or Litecoin or anything related 
without a handful of dipshits saying, it's going to zero, you're an idiot. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you guys are so dumb. So you got you to shoot back sometimes. I, I love it because uh, most of the guys and the girls in the crypto are, um, you know, they got like jobs in the crypto industry. So they got to be kind of politically correct, et cetera. But, uh, but whether it's you, Russell Okong, you know, all these athletes, they just come in real hot and you of all people are, are, uh, are holding up the back. So it's, uh, it's pretty fun to watch, uh, watch the kind of the crypto trolls, um, you know, get, get a little taste of their own medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and listen, Crypto is about as volatile as it gets, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not going and investing 100% of my assets in crypto. Obviously, that that would that would be a scary, scary, scary ride. But I, I have significant investments, and I also understand it's going to go up and down. And so I do, I, I do this thing where I mess with my wife. Whenever, whenever it starts going up, I tell her, and and she gets annoyed by it. I'm like, hey, we just made seven grand today, <laughs> you know. And then uh, she'd be like, well, we didn't really make it because you're not going to trade it in. I'm like, yeah, you're right, I'm not. And then, you know, obviously the next day it'll, it'll lose $8,000 and I, I won't say anything to her. And then, and then the day after that, it'll make $4,000. I'll say, hey, we spent $4,000 today. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to like antagonize her. I only tell her about the good uh, and, and never about the bad. And it's really funny because, you know, you know, she understands that it goes up and down. Uh, but I only tell her about the ups. So uh, it, it really bothers her. Yeah, it's like the uh, kind of like what you do on Twitter. Why am I going to celebrate when it's going down? I'm going to tell you guys. Bitcoin's going to ten thousand, and it, when it drops back from nine to eight in a day, I'm not going to tell you about that. I, look, it's uh, positivity is uh, is the way of the world, right? I I, I joke. Yep. I'm in the uh, my favorite things that people say on Twitter are definitely uh, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin because that just pisses the trolls off. Uh, and then the other one it makes is, them so mad. Yeah, <laughs> the other one is uh, you didn't lose the money if you never sold at a loss. <laughs> Yup, yup. Right. Um, all right. So, uh-huh. how do you and Martin know each other? How did you guys get hooked up? Yeah, we we met. Martin started Flow Wrestling, and I maybe might have been two thousand six, but might have been two thousand seven. Uh, and I was when I was a senior in college, and we we kind of just hit it off. I don't know. We just saw eye to eye on a lot of things, and um, and then obviously he you know he followed me around through the Olympics because that was you know one of the main stories. And we just developed a friendship of visiting Austin a handful of times and working with them. And, um, yeah, I guess just through all those avenues. And then, um, you know, when he left Flow Sports in 2018 and he started, he decided to start his own thing, uh, I saw the vision and it was, uh, I was really excited about it. Yeah. I would say, like, the one thing that gravitated uh, us together is it seems like Ben's always on the bleeding edge. And you can kind of see it in his wrestling or in his fighting. He's really... He's evolving. He's innovating. And so, you know, when we first came on the scene for at Flow Sports, we were doing something completely different, right? Um, everything was TV-based, and we decided, no, uh, TV's missing it. They're a mile wide and an inch deep, and they don't really align with people's passions. People's passions are an inch wide. They go a mile deep. And when you can align with people's passions, you drive a much higher lifetime value per subscriber, which makes an economic model actually work around digital content. And so I was just the exact opposite approach of, of what the industry was doing. And, um, and I said, you know what, they're missing it. And our opportunity is in sports um, right now where all, not, all the uh, live rights aren't locked up. And so we went heavy into wrestling. Um, I went into wrestling too, just because I loved wrestling. And so that's where I really saw a lot of the opportunity. I wrestled in college, nowhere near the success of, of Ben, of course. But um, I loved it. I thought it was the most exciting sport. And so 
from there, um, it just seemed like Ben was just really on the same page of exactly what we were doing. And he's, he's an early innovator. He's like an early adopter. He, he knows when things, um, and maybe, maybe he just knows it in his gut, but he senses when things, um, need to be transformed. And, and if there's a platform that does it, then he kind of, he kind of gravitates towards it. So that's what he did with flow sports. And, and then after, um, um, when I was done with flow sports, uh, you know, it is natural that as I was going through uh, Rockfin, I was bouncing it off of Ben and just kind of seeing where his head was at, getting his take. And uh, and so um, he's been he's been on the platform since the start. So it's been good to, good to have him there. Yeah, it's awesome. So so maybe give us a quick overview of like exactly what Rockfin is, um, and then we can talk about how Ben as a content creator, um, you know, why why kind of you see the benefit in it and how you're using the platform. Yeah. So, you know, first off, the mission behind Rockfin is to be the world's best platform uh, for content creators to monetize their content. Um, and it really started, it starts actually from a problem, right? Like, so digital networks, um, there's something wrong with them, right? Uh, digital platforms have done great with digital networks. Um, they've they've accrued an immense amount of wealth over the last 20 years. Any digital platforms that own a successful digital network, um, their stockholders have done great and customers have done really good, but the content creators on them haven't participated in that upside. You know, a clear example is when you look at like a YouTube, right? YouTube um, sells for $1.6 billion to Google with very little money. They're selling for their network and what makes up their network is the content creators, but the content creators don't participate, don't participate in that transaction at all, right? So they sell to Google for $1.6 billion. Same thing with Instagram. All the content creators on Instagram, they sell to Facebook for a billion. They don't participate in that network. Um, and if it stopped there, maybe it would be acceptable, but it actually gets worse. As those networks grow, they get more and more powerful. The content creators on them that have helped build them, now let's remind that those networks don't exist with actual the, without the content creators. The content creators on them get more and more leveraged because they're being commoditized by the digital platform. Digital platform says, hey, if you don't want to participate on this, we got 990 other people that will participate. And don't you want to stay connected to the fans? Don't you want to stay connected to new fans? Don't you want to be relevant and all this while, the content creator is like, well, I've helped build this network, and now I'm getting squeezed by them, right? And so, um, so we've used blockchain to solve for this. On Rockfin, content creators receive the full value of their network, and they're able to do that through the Ray token. And frankly, you know, I'm kind of late to the blockchain, uh, um, the blockchain world. I, I only really started doing this in 20, started to understand and look and 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 research blockchain in 2016, 2017. But when we started Rockfin, you know, my thought was if we don't have to use blockchain, let's not use it. But it just so happens blockchain is the only technology that solves this problem. And that's why we use it. So explain that. Like why, how did you guys come to the conclusion it's the only technology? Well, because uh, right now content, cre um, because there's a cooperative game problem, right? So, um, and there's an asymmetry of information, right? So digital platforms, as they scale, they have much more, uh, they have a much bigger network. The reason they're able to do that with content creators is because, uh, because they own the, the network. When YouTube, when Google does its financing calls, they don't report on, on YouTube, 
right? They don't want to tell all the different finances on YouTube because then people can start to maybe start to figure out what's actually going on there. How much value is actually being accrued by this? So, so they obfuscate the data. They don't let content creators know what, how their content affects the lifetime value of the customers on the platform. And that's the real game. That's the heart of the issue. And so what we do with the Ray ecosystem and Rockfin is Rockfin is a Delaware C-Corp. It plugs into the Ray ecosystem, which is an ERC-20 token, and we publish all of the results. And so as, as customers come on, they pay a simple $9.99 with their credit card to access. What happens in the background is we take $9.99 worth of Ray, we burn that Ray um, to transmit value to the network, and it creates a utility. And every content creator can see that we are burning Ray. And then as a certain amount of work is being done on the platform, the Ray, the, the Ray ecosystem mints 10,000 Ray and distributes based on who provided the value to the ecosystem. And value in a subscription business is customer acquisition and customer retention. So what, what content creators, what, what content has helped either acquire customers or retain customers? And so ultimately, this creates is, is that Rockfin needs Ray to just continue to, to distribute the content that is on its platform. And so it has this inherent utility for the system that we need Ray. So as more uh, creators, as more co- creators come on, they bring on more customers. All of a sudden, our appetite for Ray grows. We need more Ray uh, so that we can burn more Ray to continue to distribute people's content. And so that, as that grows, the demand for Ray goes, grows as well. Got it. And so, Ben, talk a little bit about maybe like you're creating this content. You, you can pretty much put it anywhere in the world. Why, yes. uh, why go put it on the Rockfin uh, platform? Like, what's the benefit to you? Well, I believe in Martin. I guess, I guess that's first and foremost. Um, <laughs> no, I, I see. Obviously, I see the flaws in. I see the flaws in YouTube or, or some of the obviously YouTube is the number one uh, platform right now. I see the flaws in it. I see the issues. Obviously, we see, and it's becoming more and more evident. And that's just people being demonetized, people being deplatformed, and they just have the ability to, to, to do that. Now, obviously, with the Rockfin platform, um, that 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 stuff's not going to take place. And um, so, when I, I decided to start putting stuff up, so I I have both an MMA podcast and a vlog on the Rockfin channel, uh, as well as some wrestling technique. And it was just obvious, and I you know I've seen Martin build flow flow sports from uh, uh, him and his brother in a van to a 300 employee company. So I, I've seen him do it once before. I don't see any reason why he can't do it again. And you know, this problem and Martin outlined it, but like Joe Rogan, obviously one of my favorite podcasters, I, I got to get in his brain because he has discussed this issue no less than seven times. And I don't <laughs> listen to all of his, po- I don't listen to all of his podcasts, just the ones that I find interesting, but it comes up very frequently that, you know, it could be with iTunes, right? Uh, another network that essentially has a monopoly on what they do. It could be on YouTube that they have so much power over what they decide. I mean, if tomorrow YouTube says, Hey, everybody that we're paying, we're paying you half. You're going to get half deal with it. Tough shit. Then they're going to, you know, what is it? What is a content creator going to do? They have no power. YouTube's just too big at this point for those individual content creators to say anything about it. And 
Obviously, it's got much worse than half. It's a lot, you know, a handful of people have been demonetized recently over really nebulous claims. Absolutely. And part of it, too, I guess, is, uh, yeah, so, so my, one of my favorite Joe Rogan episodes actually is when he brought, uh, I think it's Tim Pool, uh, Jack Dorsey, and Oh, that was so fantastic. Yeah. And, 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 he, and Jack, to his credit, look, Jack it was answering questions, but he also brought like uh, the woman, and I, and I forget her name, um, but she's like in charge of the policy. Yes. And when you're listening to it, you go into it and you're like, man, Tim Pool is going to just you know wipe the floor with these folks because there's just no right answer. But when you hear it, like they, they are trying to be thoughtful in many cases, but the problem is there's no right answer. Right. And so you're going to piss somebody off. Yes. Um, and, and what ends up happening is the second that whether it's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, et cetera, gets into the, um, the kind of it's, it's not a censorship game. Right. I, I think what they look at it as mm-hmm. is they're like policing the platform. It just happens. They end up censoring people as like an output. It, it's just a slippery slope because yeah. once you start then now now you're the you're the babysitter. Right. And and, uh, and people come to you all the time and complain about I don't like their views. They're being you know, stupid, whatever. Yeah, I think I think a big part of the problem there with Twitter, though, is that um, and all these digital networks is in the beginning when they don't have any leverage and the network is just going, they act like angels. There's friction. There's zero friction to join the platform. There's zero friction to stay on the platform. And then all of a sudden, once it becomes in their financial interest and once it becomes in their best interest, they all of a sudden start to change the rules. And start to leverage things, and they start to say, you know, well, we want to avoid, um, we want, we're going to change the algorithms, or we're going to change the rules here, uh, for whatever political reasons or for other uh, other dynamics, um, and and that wasn't there in the beginning, and it all kind of goes back to that creator's dilemma, and I think it's what's frustrating for content creators who have helped build that network. You know, that network doesn't exist without the content creators, right? And yes, the digital platform is a part of building that network, but the, the content creators were a key component to that. What, what's frustrating, and sometimes they've changed their whole livelihood to, you know, to do that, right? And so what's frustrating for them is that they didn't own a part of the network. They didn't get to participate in that network. And so a key differentiator for something like Ray, so a lot of people ask me, well, why do you, why do you use Ray? Why don't you just... Um, why don't you just pay in cash? And the, the a key, there's two reasons why. Well, first is we reward in Ray to reward for the value contributed to the network. And when you look at networks, in the early days of the network, the first 100 customers, the first 1,000, the first 10,000 customers are so much more valuable than the customers at 1 million when you get the next 100 customers or you get the next 1,000 customers already after you have a, a million customers. So we reward in Ray so that, that the content creators that have helped build the network get to actually participate in the full value that they've contributed. And then the second part why we don't pay in cash is because if you pay in cash, the content creators cashed out. It's, it's implicit in the actual meaning. When you pay in cash, the content creators cashed out. They can't stay connected to the network um, and, and, um, and be a part of its growth. They just, they're done. And so those are the two reasons why. And we think that, yeah, maybe in the future, um, Rockfin could potentially do the stuff that YouTube does, but it's go- it would be really hard. It would be really bad for us. People would know their true value on the network. And that holds us to a lot more accountability. There's other digital platforms that could hook into the Ray ecosystem so that can compete on a fair uh, playing field. So it really, a lot, it really changes 
the whole chessboard, the whole dynamic that makes digital platforms much more accountable to content creators. Got it. What oh, So you got Ben on the platform. What are, what are some of the other content creators that are on the platform? Yeah, we got a really strong MMA vertical um, within the within the platform. We have uh, Chael Sonnen, who just recently retired from uh, MMA. We got Adam Hunter. We got a whole slew of comedians. Um, uh, our comedian vertical is really strong and uh, a couple of uh, big announcements on the way as well on that front. So right now, the two verticals, we're just in alpha. We've been around for, uh, you know, just over 60 days. Um, and, um, and the two verticals that are starting are, is around MMA and comedy. Got it. Every MMA, every MMA fighter I know thinks that they're a comedian. So there's uh, there's a lot of overlap there. <laughs> um, cool. So so uh, Ben, what um what's kind of outside of Rockfin? What uh what else in crypto's got your attention right now? Uh, well, obviously I'm a big supporter of Litecoin, and again, you know, again, I don't put myself out there as an expert. I'll say one of my good friends from college, he was who got me into crypto, and. Um, you know, he, he obviously he's a Bitcoin guy first, Litecoin guy second, and then he you know he's into a handful of other businesses as well. But it's just uh, I I love anything that gives you more freedom, and that's what what cryptos are going to do. That's what Bitcoin and Litecoin do. They give you more freedom. Uh, they take us off fiat currency, whether it's the United States government or anywhere else. And you know, a lot of people in the United States, there I mean, there's a couple issues, especially with people in the United States. They don't number one, they don't see. Um, they haven't seen a bank failure in a, in a very long time or a hyperinflation. Whereas if you go, if you go all across the world, it, it's been uh, many, many hyperinflations or bank failures in the last, uh, in the last 20 years. And then also if you, if you look at some of the, especially in Southeast Asia where I traveled extensively from my fighting career, um, I mean, there's a lot of parts of some of those countries that are unbanked. Literally, they don't have access to a bank, but almost everyone has access to a cell phone network. And essentially, uh, maybe it's not super convenient right now, but I would say within a couple of years, it's going to be super convenient for anyone with a cell phone network to have some type of crypto wallet on their phone and, and make purchases. So I think, you know, getting those unbanked people onto a crypto network to be really, really simple and pivotal towards uh, towards the future. Got it. Makes uh, makes sense. You sound like uh, you sound like a Bitcoin expert to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Martin, what's uh what, what's next for Rockfin as you guys kind of go out from uh, day sixty or so out? You know, over the next 12, 24 months. Yeah. So one thing we didn't do is we didn't do an ICO. We didn't know founders reward. We started very much like uh very much like the Bitcoin network. There will only be thirty four minted, thirty four million Ray token ever minted, and we burn. So you know, we do a traditional fundraising approach to fund our operations. And, um, and, and we think that's the right approach. We're not, I, I really, I don't like ICOs. I don't, I don't think they actually align interests uh, from the entrepreneur um, to the, uh, to the content creator in our case, uh, to the user. Um, we, we just, we, we don't think that they're effective. Um, we've, I've raised plenty of money at Flow Sports. And I think that process is good it holds everybody to account and so we'll do a proper seed round here in the back half of 2019 um, that we're we're excited about and then we're we're looking to expand and get out of alpha phase we'll be opening up our platform to all content creators right now we've just kept it to a few and we're working through that through the alpha phase uh, once we open up to uh, to the the whole, we expect a lot more growth, and so we want to be prepared uh, for that aggressive growth. 
Got it. Makes uh, makes sense. Um, and then uh, as uh, as I usually wrap these up, um, I uh, ask rapid fire questions. But since there's two of you, I'll give you each uh, individual ones. Uh, ben, in your opinion, what's the uh, most important company in crypto other than uh, Rockfin? Um, shoot, I don't know. Because you would say obviously Bitcoin, Litecoin aren't companies. Uh, I have I have no idea. You tell me. Tell me. Nah, well, you could say Bitcoin. That, that, that's what I would say. It's not. That's, but that's not a company. That's not a company. No, it's not a company, but it's a it's an organization just highly decentralized. Ah, well, yeah. see, that, that, now you're asking trick questions. <laughs> you you uh, you're supposed to be smart. You you can answer however you want. It's your podcast. Just, okay, do whatever you want. All right, I would say I would say you know I I think it's pretty well consensus among most people that Bitcoin will be kind of the number one uh, store of value on the crypto network for for eternity. Yeah, I uh, tend to agree. Martin, what's the uh, one regulation you would change or improve if you could? Uh, well, I would say, first off, clarity around re- regulations um, yep. would be the, the first thing. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, when we first started this, that was a, a key anxiety. I mean, we went out, spent a lot of money to get a legal memo to really show that we're voting token through and through. Um, but that anxiety, that friction can really probably scare away innovation within the space. So I, I think we got to have clarity to, to allow to let people feel at ease that this is the right way. Let investors know that, yeah, there, there is there is a process. There is a great utility for uh, for this technology and there's a way you can operate with it and still be compliant. Right. So that, that's first and foremost. Um, uh, if there's technology, I'd say like, you know, another one that comes to my mind is 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 putting some people's feet to the fire in terms of when they have to become decentralized. I mean, you, you get this Libra paper that or this Libra to- a coin that Facebook just announced and you just start peeling back the onion. And it's like, well, it, it's totally centralized. We don't even necessarily know if there's a blockchain involved and they do some hand waving that says, oh, yeah, it will get decentralized. But it's like, when's the last time Facebook has has followed through on all the promises they make around other things, around privacy. They, they'll often do this hand-waving, but when it's in their best financial interest, they just keep doing what they want to do. So, you know, if there was some, if there was some time frame that was reasonable that that projects could start out centralized, but then start to move to decentralization, and, and then there needs to be some proof that it is truly decentralized, I think um, wouldn't be a bad thing either for the space. Got it. Makes sense to me. Ben, most, uh, most controversial thought you have in your whole life, Oh, this is fun. Talent doesn't exist. That's an easy one. Talent doesn't exist. All right, explain that. It do- Don't even get me started. It doesn't exist. <laughs> you don't have time. And you don't have the right arguments. It doesn't exist in no, in no way, shape, or form. I'm not, I'm not and there, there's, there's never been a scientific Tom, study that, Tom, that proves it does. Tom, do you believe in talent? So, so what I, I'm assuming when you say talent doesn't exist, the argument is that hard work develops talent. Is that is that basically the argument? No. No. Okay. Explain. Not 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 really for me. I would say that there's never been a study that has proved that high level success in anything complex comes from anything innate, and I don't believe there will ever be a study that can prove that. Now, I mean, maybe if you're say a very simplistic task, um, say being a center in the NBA. Obviously, there's a prerequisite, which is being probably 6'11 or above. If you are not 6'11 or above, you cannot be in that pool of people who can do that thing, right? There's very specific things like that. Yep. Uh, but say, if you're going to win a wrestling match 
or if you're going to start a business, there's just a myriad of characteristics. There's hundreds of characteristics that can make you successful at that one endeavor. And there is no, there is no, you need A, B, C, D, and E. Now that's, you could have A, Z, F, one, two, and four, right? You could have any mix of these things that's going to make you successful. And so, you know, a lot of people, they, they like to say talent exists because then it lets them off the hook for them not being successful. And because it's also a very, very easy explanation, but it's, it's essentially kind of a hindsight bias because people would look at me and say, oh my God, he's talented at wrestling. He, you know, he did this and that and he created this technique and that technique. He's so talented. It's like, fuck, no one was saying I was talented when I was 13 and getting my ass kicked all over the place. Yep. No one was saying I was talented when I was 16. And I, and I listen, I'm not new to wrestling at 16. Well, I'm 16, I've been wrestling for a decade and I go 0-2 at the national tournament, don't win a match. No one's saying I'm talented at that point in time. And I think that's what happens a lot is people, it's a hindsight bias. They see someone have success and then they try to attribute it to a few simplistic characteristics and say, oh, he has talent, she has talent. When there's just so many characteristics that can make someone successful um, and, and you know you can use any combination of those things. It, it, yeah, uh, I think go ahead, Martin. Yeah, well, a key, a key book, that actually, Ben and I, We've, we've talked a lot about this and gone back and forth. Uh, um, a key book that around that is, is Talent Code, I thought was did a really great job of explaining it for like, people that kind of interested in it. But um, yeah, Ben's, I, I, you know, I agree 100% with Ben there. Yeah, well, agree. That's one of my favorite books. What you guys are basically saying is uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, Jeff Lewis is, uh, I think, the managing partner and one of the founders of uh, Bedrock Capital. Uh, he used to be at Founders Fund with uh, Peter Till and, and those guys. And uh, one time, I, uh, I forget exactly how it came up, but uh, the idea of luck came up. And he basically was like, luck doesn't exist. That's just what the, the people who don't uh, – who end up being uh-huh. successful blame their not successfulness on, right? And, and yeah. it's the same thing, I think, uh, you know, where the hindsight but bias, that, I think, really resonates for people. It's funny, though, because, you know, I, I, agree, I, agree, I tend to agree with that, but – um, I, I don't know if you've heard of the how how you built this podcast. Yep. Um, uh, it's a good, it's a really good podcast. It tells some storytelling. I swear to God, every entrepreneur after the fact they say, "Hey, does luck exist?" And it's almost like if they say luck doesn't exist, they're kind of like I, I don't know, they're 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 snobby or something like that. And every single <laughs> says, "Hey, yes, luck exists. We got we got lucky." Da 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 da. And it seems like you know it's it's counter to what a lot of people believe. They a lot of people believe in that that there is luck. Yeah, and I guess there's chance that happens. Well, but luck luck is luck is like talent. Like if you're if you're to say. Everyone is everyone is the exact same out of the womb. Obviously, that's not true. We all have things inherently we are better at than other people. And it's about cultivating those things to make something a success. And so everyone, you know, luck over over an extended period of time, luck is going to be neutral. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to you're going to have some positive. You're going to have some negative. But o- over an extended long enough time, it's going to be neutral. And everyone's going to experience that neutralness that the universe. I always tell kids this. The universe is not biased towards anybody. <laughs> and. It's it's it, it, seriously, and I think when when teenagers have this chip on their shoulder, everyone's against me. I think that's kind of okay. I'm cool with that because they're young, they got a lot of spunk. But if you're 35 and you think the universe is conspiring against you, you're effing insane, well, and you I'll, have I'll issues. Say, I'll say one thing though, you know, to kind of like take the edge a little bit off that, Ben, is that if you're, I like edgy. Yeah, <laughs> if they, if they take. I mean, if you're born in like a really shitty family. You know, that's kind of unlucky, I guess. You could say that's sure. And that really, that will affect, or if you're born in a certain part of the world, 
it's like there are, I mean, there are chances around that. But I think in general, like when you're in America, um, you know, it's I feel like you have so much. You have so much at your disposal. Or you're in a Western world country or if you're in a um, in an industrialized country, a first world country, you have so much. And so there's so much potential in that that to, to put it on luck or not luck, it's, it's about, it's about really creating opportunities and making opportunities. I, I usually think, so. I think a lot about this idea of the ovarian lottery, right? Essentially is, uh, is this idea of people mm-hmm. that, uh, first of all, it's incredibly low probability that, uh, you as a, as a human are the one who ended up, uh, with the sperm and the egg coming together and, and actually being born, right? Just, <laughs> it's so, so true. the biology of it and then not only were did you actually make it right to actually become a human then you were born you know with two arms two legs and, and you kind of go through all these things and you're like it's all relative right and, and so it's uh it, it's pretty incredible when you think about it from that way but it, but i do think that um a lot of times when people are talking about luck right it's hey you take two wrestlers for example and you put them in a tournament and one of them got lucky right and and Mm-hmm. To me, that that description is uh, it, it's hard to uh, to resonate with me just because uh, again, right? It's who who put the work in, who actually did the actions, right? It's not like uh, some uh, some fairy godmother came down and you know did something to one of the wrestlers. It's just effort. Yeah. Yeah. So um, all right, before I finish up, uh, I uh, I always ask about aliens. Either one of you guys uh, believe? In aliens? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not totally against the possibility. I'm also not well researched enough to say there are aliens. But I know a lot of smart. A lot of smart people really, really do genuinely believe that they exist. So it's a possibility. Right. Pomp, uh, what's more scary for you, Pomp, is that if aliens exist or if aliens don't exist. Um, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, so, so my whole take on it is really that mathematically it is unlikely that we're the only you know sentient beings in all of these different galaxies sure and and the one thing i and i've talked about on the podcast before but just the thing that just scared the hell out of me when i was reading one day uh and really kind of gave me higher conviction in the whole idea of aliens existing was uh right now there are two other galaxies so outside of our you know freaking solar system galaxy whatever that are colliding with each other I don't, you know, I'm not smart enough to know what that actually. Well, what does that even? What does that even I, mean? I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if that's like a Big Bang type thing or what. But there's two galaxies that are colliding right now, uh, and they're really far away, obviously. But our galaxy is supposed to collide with either those galaxies or another galaxy in like four billion years. And when I, when I read that, I said, "Wait a minute, four billion? Uh, what the hell?" <laughs> so, like, but how did people even know? I mean, that's like such like a. Like I'm here trying to figure out what's the best, uh, you know, our engineers are sometimes trying to figure out and having lively discussions and, on, on, you know, should the button be placed here and here and let's A, B test and see if we have enough data. And it's, like, and it's like, these people come up with this. It's like, I don't even know how you can make a statement like that. I don't even know where you begin. And then <laughs> you have no, no feedback loop. So it's like, I guess you can make statements out in a vacuum, but man, that's gotta be, I mean, uh, you start somewhere, so people have come up with hypothesis. But um, a question for you, Tom, I got is: Do you think Satoshi is an actual alien? <laughs> oh, so, so definitely not an alien. The, the it's probably the question I get the most often. It's it's always like I'll, I'll go meet with uh, a lot of these institutional investors. These are you know, pretty conservative people who uh, their job is to not lose money, yep. right? It's not even to make money as much as his first first job. Don't lose it. Second job, make some uh, make some money. And uh, they always ask me two things on the way out the doors. 
it's always out uh, as we're walking out the door and it's usually like the analyst or, or kind of one of the younger guys. Um, and what they'll say first is, Hey man, I follow you on Twitter. I, you know, uh, listen to podcasts, whatever, but they don't want to like say that out loud in the meeting to be labeled as like the crazy crypto one. Um, and then the second thing that they'll always ask me is like, who do you think Satoshi is? And I always tell them that like, first it, we're better off not knowing. It, it's Craig Wright, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, look, I, I saw, uh, I saw something going around on Twitter that uh, the Colombian government is now recognizing him as Toshi. I, I don't know what the hell is going on. Oh my goodness! He paid. He paid him I'm for that. I'm gonna a rumor that Ben Askren is uh, is Satoshi and see how that goes. I, I don't. I think people wouldn't realize that I I do not have the intellect for that. <laughs> Damn it! No. I, it's a thing yeah. where uh, I, I really do think it's uh, Marty Bent uh, calls it the the immaculate conception of Bitcoin, right? And it's this whole idea of like, yeah, everyone's got their theory, but you know, we've got some uh, information like the early emails and some of the blog posts and things like that, but nobody knows who did it. And that's actually a positive um, because it's, it's, it's a story, right? And money is just a belief system and there's now a story to believe in. Um, and, and so we're better off not knowing. And, and I think I subscribe to, to that thought process. Yeah, it's, it's great for a story from, from that perspective, 100%. Creates so, so much intrigue and mystery around it. For sure. So where, um, Martin, where can people find out more about Rockfin and, and, uh, and kind of get connected with you guys? Yeah, so uh, um, creators interested in joining Rockfin, um, you can email us at creators at Rockfin. You spell that R-O-K-F-I-N.com. Um, um, and you can also go to the Ray token, R A E token, um, dot org and figure out more about the Ray token and, uh, the, uh, the blockchain components and, and, and all the, um, all the token mechanics and whatnot around Ray. So got it. Ben, uh, what Twitter, uh, your Rockfin account, what, what, what do you want to, uh, push you? Uh, I, yeah, um, all of that. I'm just, obviously, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm uh, I, I I obviously post a lot of my preview material for my Rockfin stuff on my Twitter and my Instagram. Um, so you know, if you if you go to one of those places, you you'll be obviously led to Rockfin as well. All right. Last question. Any uh, prediction for the fight in July? I mean, I I think I tend to believe it's going to be a fairly easy fight for me. Um, whether he, whether I just dominate him for 15 minutes or whether he ends up making a mistake and I submit him, I'm not sure of what, you know, he could obviously play a much more conservative game and just take the L or he could try to be more aggressive, in which case I'll probably submit him. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident. Uh, training's going great. Everything's good. I'm excited. Hey, Ray, or Ben, I heard that no one has submitted Jorge or knocked him out in his 47 fights. Is that true? Uh, let's see. Losses. Decision, 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 decision. Oh, no, he got submitted by Toby Amada. And he got TKO okay. by Rodrigo. Damn, that, those were both a long time ago. But yeah, it has happened. It's yeah. a lot of L's there that you just counted up there. Well, he's got, he's 33 and 13. So he does, he does have a lot of fights. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, mm-hmm. what you, uh, when people ask you what your record is, what, what do you count in there? On that MMA side, my I'm 19 and 0. Yeah, zero losses, undefeated. Zero, yeah, it's, it's good. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, listen, this is a ton of fun. I appreciate you guys taking the time to do it, especially Ben, while you're uh, you're training for the fight and everything. Uh, we'll be cheering for you, and then uh, Martin. Hopefully, uh, people go check out Rockfin, and uh, and they can uh, come find you guys and track you down on the internet. Absolutely, sounds good. Hey, thanks for having us, Pump. 
Are you curious about cryptocurrency and you don't know where to begin? I've got a great way for you to try. You can use Stormplay, a free and fun way to start earning in exchange for your time. That's right, you don't necessarily have to make a financial investment to begin. You can simply download, register, and then discover these micro-tasks that they present you that meet your interest, and then you're rewarded with these Storm Bolts. The Bolts are then converted and can be withdrawn into your favorite cryptocurrency, including the Storm Token, Ethereum, or my favorite, Bitcoin. If you go and download the Stormplay app today, you can earn cryptocurrency rewards by playing new games and trying out cool new products. It's worth a try, and it's a great way to get started. Remember, go check out Stormplay in the App Store today. Hey everyone, Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.